Welcome back to Our Story. My name is Matt Stone. I'm excited to be here today with Reverend Calissa Dodderman. And we have uh, an exciting opportunity this morning, I think, because we're going to be launching a new series on Sunday. And Calissa is going to be setting the tone and stage for that series. So, Calissa, as we just jump right in today, I wonder if you could just share a little bit about where we're headed over the next few weeks. Yeah, sure. So, um, when we first started out this whole podcast, you all got to hear Phil and Matt talk a little bit about the Revised Common Lectionary and how that kind of gives us a way of kind of reading through the scripture over the course of a year and kind of guides us in that way. It just so happens that in the month of September, the lectionary readings that we're encountering now have a lot to do with kind of conflict in community and how to resolve that and how to work through it and how to still be a community at the end of it. And, you know, as Matt and Phil and Kathy and David and I were looking at these texts, we thought, this is an incredibly important message for right now. I mean, it's an election year. We are we are in a period of some kind of divisive community life. Also, I mean, I don't know about you, but I have been rather cooped up in my house for the last six months, uh, and that has not always resulted in the best conflict mediation within my family unit. So um, we thought, yeah, now would be a really great time to talk about that. And believe it or not, we've actually titled this series, Don't Let It Be. Uh, We were thinking about Beatles songs and how uh, this kind of (laughs) idea of conflict comes up a lot. And um, yeah, we just ended up with Don't Let It Be. You'll, You'll see us play with that a little bit over the next couple of weeks. Matt, you have anything to add to that? Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited about this series um, for a couple reasons. One, like you said, it comes out of the lectionary. And it's not always true that the passages in the lectionary are tied together over a period of weeks, nor are they always tied together topically, nor are they always addressing such a timely topic. And yet all of those things have come together into this series. And, you know, I think... Beyond Dunwoody UMC in particular, I think this cultural moment in our country is ripe for a reset in how we engage in conflict. And what does it mean as followers of Jesus to engage in conflict well? You know, one of the things that I always tell couples in premarital counseling is, look, conflict is not the enemy, right? The, the existence of conflict is not a bad thing because it's part of our condition. It's part of being human that we're going to disagree. How we address conflict, that is where conflict can take on either an incredibly meaningful and profound place in our relationships, or it can absolutely destroy relationships. So that's one of the things that I'm really excited about in this series is being able to spend a few weeks together thinking about what does it mean for us to engage in conflict as faithful followers of Jesus. So I'm excited. I'm excited that you're getting us started in this series, and um, uh, I'm excited for each of the passages. But this one in particular that that you're going to address this week is a fascinating passage. It's one that I think is familiar to a lot of people, although it may be one of those passages that we're that we've lifted out of its context within Jesus's teaching and within the gospel. So, Calissa, before we jump into the passage itself, 
I wonder if you can help us kind of set the stage. Who's talking? Where are we? When are we? What's going on? Yeah. Um, and thanks for mentioning that, Matt, because you will find as we go through the scripture, all kinds of things you've heard before, but hopefully we'll help you hear them in a new way. So um, we are attacking verses 15 through 20 of Matthew 18. So in the midst of this passage, we're hearing Jesus. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And it's kind of um, in the middle of a bunch of other things. Like he has told quite a few parables. And actually, this portion comes directly after the parable of the lost sheep. And that comes directly after um, Jesus talking about how um, we need to have faith like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, it's, It's the disciples really struggling to understand how they're supposed to approach Christ, approach God, approach scripture and holiness and being together. And Christ is trying to help them understand humility um, and help them to understand that righteousness doesn't always look exactly like we think that it ought to. And he's also trying to help them understand the value of cementing a community together, of of claiming those that seem to be on the margins, of helping people who have wandered away come and find home again. Um, and so, especially that coming right after the parable of the lost sheep, I think Jesus is really giving us kind of an image of, of how we hold things together, how we hold things together in tension, which is not something that I feel like we as Christians are really taught to do a whole lot. So, I'm pretty excited to talk about it. I think that um, one of the things that I'm really getting from this passage is not only kind of the value of resolving conflict, but the value of, frankly, just acknowledging that conflict exists. Matt, like you were saying, I I think people are sometimes afraid of conflict because it feels bad. And even to acknowledge that conflict exists makes us seem like we don't have it all together. Yeah, I think I think even the setting, even before we jump into that passage, Calissa, I think you've pointed out something really important about the context. And by the way, this is just a great reminder for all of us that when we're studying a particular passage, it's it's almost never a good idea to jump into the middle, right? The passage that we're spending the most time on is in the middle of a block of teaching. And to assume that Nothing that comes before really matters in helping us understand that passage would be a, a mistake for us. And so I, I really appreciate the attention to the setting of this passage within that context. And one of the things that I love about it is the the teaching that Jesus is doing leading up to this really speaks to the interconnectedness of the community. Jesus is really clear that the way we interact and engage each other matters. It matters to him. It matters to God. It matters for how we live out our identity as children of God. And that. Uh, so he starts with this conversation about children, and then he moves to a conversation about stumbling blocks. And he says, you better not be a stumbling block. And by the way, if something within you is causing you to stumble, then you need to cut it out. I, I mean, I think part of, and this is jumping the gun a little bit, Calissa, but Part of the preparation that I'd love for people to do before Sunday is to go back and read the the front end of chapter 18, because there's some challenging content there 
And Jesus, is, he's, he's clear about our interconnectedness, but he's clear about our responsibility for our role in, in the community. Yeah, one of the things that really comes out in this passage, Matthew 18, 15 through 20, is this kind of contrast between um, humility and stubbornness. And that comes out in the verses before, right? We're really getting that dichotomy set up for us. And like you're talking about stumbling blocks and um, that kind of tendency for us to dig our heels in or just like cut off people who we disagree with. I don't know if you do that, Matt, but I... No, I never, a, never. No. I would never do that. <laughs> I, I'm a liberal <laughs> user of the uh, mute function on my social media accounts. Um, you know, sometimes we want to just block that stuff out, but um, Jesus has something to say to us about that. Um, so the passage that we're talking about this week starts off with, um, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. And if That's the member so listens, intense. That's I know. That's such an intense way to start. Yeah, I, conflict. <laughs> yeah, Jesus isn't skirting around the edge of this. I'm, I'm just so struck by how direct it is, right? Yeah, it really kind of forces us to uh, confront the notion of confrontation. And I know personally, I'm uh, rather conflict averse. I don't like to confront folks when I'm feeling upset about something. I feel like actually what it takes is a really high level of intimacy with someone else before I even feel safe, kind of saying, you hurt me. This thing that you did hurt me or it made me angry or it made me feel, you know, some kind of way. And Jesus is kind of presuming that this Christian community will have that level of intimacy, right? Yeah, I, I think you've really hit on something important, Galissa. And, and so I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about some of the verbiage that Jesus is using. In the translation that I'm reading, and I think you're reading from it too, mm-hmm. the New Revised Standard Version, it says, if another member of the church sins against you. And that language is comfortable for us because it's familiar. We're used to talking about churches and we are used to talking about members. But that's not exactly the way Jesus said it. And the point that you were just making really resonates with the precise way that Jesus spoke. I wonder if you could expand on that a little bit. I'd be happy to. It it actually is really funny because reading through this, that jumped out at me right away. I found myself thinking, whoa, 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 hold up. There is no church yet. There are no members of churches. There are no churches. Um, This is this is way before then. So obviously we've got a translation thing happening here. And what you'll actually see in other translations is the wording switch from member of the church to your brother. You know, Matt was pointing out uh, as we were kind of chatting a little bit before this, that the the actual Greek that's used is Adelphus, right? So that is the word for brother. And um, a lot of times that will get translated out, especially in more modern translations. Um, for many reasons. One is that we have different understandings of family structures now, and some of that is a desire to um, be more inclusive of gender. But what gets lost there is this presumption of intimacy in in the community, right? This idea that we are related as if we were family, that we are beholden to one another in that same way and obligated 
to each other in that way. And therefore, we are responsible for each other in that way. And, you know, there aren't a whole lot of people in my church families that I've been a part of in the past that I would feel comfortable saying, hey, you hurt me. But I would definitely tell my brother that. I don't know about you, Matt, but uh, there are very few people that I feel comfortable confronting. But my family is is that. I think I understand the reason why they translated this word Adelphos rather than using uh, brother. I understand why they translated it member and the attempt and desire to be gender inclusive because I think that was Jesus's in, intent there as well. So there's nothing necessarily wrong, I don't think, with translating it member and church, uh, which that word is, is really assembly, so just a gathering, right? Um, mm-hmm. yeah. But what's lost there, exactly like you pointed out, is the familial relationship, right? Jesus envisions this conversation about conflict unfolding within the family. And so it's not as though of the, you know, of the 5,000 members at done what a UMC, if I see any other member at the church doing something wrong, then Jesus has just given me the the right and authority to go point it out to him, right? I, I think this is how Christians have actually gotten themselves in trouble, is misunderstanding entirely what Jesus is up to. This conversation for Jesus takes place within a family context, right? When you have a, a brother or a sister kind of relationship with somebody and there's a problem, what Jesus is saying is, okay, go deal with it directly. So I think that's an important distinction. I appreciate you pulling that out. Yeah. And I think what you're saying kind of um, brings me to another place, right? Which is in that very first passage, we hear, if another member of the church, another brother, if your brother sins against you, then go and point it out. And I think um, we as Christians have frequently forgot that against you, but um, the idea that um, we're not here to police the actions of the entire world, um, but what we are meant to do is to have a good understanding of the ways that our actions um, and our wrongdoings hurt each other. Uh, we need to kind of be aware of the consequences, the interpersonal consequences. Um, and, and that's kind of where we start off with. Um, you know, since since we're being nerds and talking about translation, um, it is kind of interesting because the other early translations of this text do omit that against you bit. But when you pair that with the notion of Christ speaking to these disciples as if they were family, I think in some ways that that omission becomes kind of irrelevant because what it what it does is say that listen in a family we are all connected anyway you can almost presume that against you because what hurting someone in a family does to the rest of the family is also hurt them there is that notion of connectedness and in fact that's kind of borne out by the rest of the passage which you know i'll i'll dig into a little bit more on sunday but um Jesus kind of ramps this up, right? He starts with, first, you got to take this one-on-one. And if your brother won't agree with you, if you can't reach a point of agreement, then you want to actually bring in a couple of other people. If you're not listened to, you want to take one or two others along with you. And that's not just so that they can be witnesses, right? I think we we live in a legalistic, uh, litigious society. And so I think 
that idea of having other witnesses probably resonates with us. But what I think Christ is really saying here is those extra people are there because this sin, this hurt affects them too, right? Um, That if we're really talking about a situation where we're treating each other as family, we're being honest with each other and recognizing the ways that our actions affect each other, then there is no such thing as just sinning against me or against you. That, you know, when one hurts, all hurt. And when one succeeds, all succeed. We, we see that borne out over and over again in Christ's ministry and in the, the epistles of Paul. Think about 1 Corinthians, right? How we're knit together as a body. Yeah, that's, that's really good, Calissa. And I think that one of the challenges that Jesus offers, and obviously the, he didn't, he wasn't using these categories because these are more modern constructions, but... Um, you know, you think about the notion of triangling, if that's a mm-hmm. familiar concept to you from family systems theory, this idea that when I have a, Calissa, if I have a conflict with you, rather than talking to you about it, I'm more likely to go talk to Joe about it uh, because that allows me to feel better about myself and I get to blow off some steam, but it doesn't actually help anything, right? What Jesus says is you got to stop you got to stop talking to other people about the issue, right? If somebody, if there is a broken relationship here, right, then you've got to address it with the person that has actually offended you or who you've actually offended. And I love this line from N.T. Wright, who is talking about this passage. And I love the way he puts this. He says, it's severely practical as well as ruthlessly idealistic. That, yeah. That's how he describes Jesus's <laughs> approach here is severely practical as well as ruthlessly idealistic. It's both of those things. And I love that idea related to Jesus's encouragement to just go address the person that you have a problem with. Do it in the right way, but address the person first and then ramp it up. Yeah, it, I think that's hilarious. The idea of being ruthlessly idealistic and severely practical practical. It's such a good way to um, to talk about most of the gospel, right? Um, it's, it's, it's so hard for us to wrap our minds around because we are, we're such a broken people. We are a fallen people, you know, sin and pain, just, you know, find any little crack to crawl into and live in our lives. And so it's hard for us to imagine a scenario in which we just do the right thing and it feels good and everything works okay um, so frequently what we're asked to do as people of faith as followers of Jesus is hard it's hard yeah and this is this is hard this is a challenge yeah I I think it is it is so hard you're right uh, but Jesus does go on to talk about the payoff right if, if this is really hard then why go through it and I wonder, Calissa, if you could spend a little time talking about why Jesus encourages this particular approach in relationship to conflict or, or brokenness. For one thing, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to give away the lead because, frankly, over the next <laughs> couple of weeks, we're we're going to be seeing this play out, right? Because Jesus tells some more stories about how to deal with conflict in community and how to forgive one another and you know find equity in our communities, and so you know that's for you and Phil to talk about as well. But um, one of the things that does come out in this passage is that 
Christ is really telling us that there is, well, there's a heavenly reward for this, but he's also, remember, this is plonked in the middle of parables, and Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, as if it is something that we can attain through the ways that we treat each other, right? And so, he he uses this phrase that you have probably heard before. It's one of those little um, little gems in here about whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Um, and that is kind of it's it's a little bit of an archaic usage of language for for us. We don't think about binding and loosing all all that much. It's a very kind of Old Testament. But what I think Christ is allowing us to see here. When, when Jesus is talking to us, is that there is freedom to be gained from forgiveness and from right relationship. There is freedom that comes when you know that you live in a community where people can be honest with each other, where they can love each other fully for the totality of their authentic selves. That type of loosing that we can do here is what we can expect in heaven, right? In, in the kingdom of God, that is what we can expect. We can expect that kind of natural, free relationship that allows us to be authentically who we are and live in peace with one another because we know that we're able to resolve conflict well and out of love. That's fascinating, Calissa, because that's not at all where I thought you were going to go with that. Oh, yeah? Where where'd you think yeah. I was going to go? No, I didn't think that's at all. And and honestly, that helps me to make sense out of that, that particular portion of this passage, which has always felt a little bit disconnected from what's going on around it. Where I thought you were going to head with that, this is so funny, was um, what Jesus says is, if, the, if, if the, your brother or sister, when you go and approach them, if they listen to you, then you have regained that one is what Jesus says. You've regained him yep, uh, yep. or her. And and so in my mind, the payoff for the hard work is, is that you bring that brother or sister back into full community and, and a kind of reconciliation piece, which which is not, I don't think that's wrong, right? This is part of what yeah, Jesus says. No, no, no. But it's all part of the I, same thing. But I love that there's a payoff for me as well. It's not just that that other one, right, that other brother or sister has been regained, but there is a loosing effect for me because, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that I'm the only one, but when I'm in conflict with somebody, I stew over that thing and it just eats me alive from the inside. Yeah. And I think it's very much, I, I, am, I am bound by that thing and tied up by that thing until it's resolved one way or another. And so I, I, I love that, that the direction you went with that was not, um, was not only about what happens for the other person, but also the impact that this can have in our own life. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of taken it one step f- further, right? Because, you know, Jesus does want us to bring people into the fold. I mean, that's that's why we hear about the parable of the lost sheep right before this, right? That we regain someone by bringing them back in. Um, but yeah, it it brings us to a new place where we don't have to feel that conflict in our bones, where it doesn't have to live in our bodies and live in the body of the community and kind of rot us from the inside out. Yeah. 
I like this. Um, so I want to change. I want to change direction just a little bit. Yeah. And and ask about this because I think for a lot of people who are Christian, when mm-hmm. we when we think about conflict, we have this implicit understanding. It's not a thing that we'd ever really say, but I, I think a lot of us think it or believe it that the Christian thing to do in conflict is not to say anything. Yeah. Because by not saying anything, we keep the peace. Right. It, so this is not again this is not what Jesus is saying, and I so wish it was, because it's so much easier <laughs> to just ignore it, put my head in the sand, deal with my own stuff, and after a while maybe I'll forget about it and I won't be mad anymore. But Jesus right. doesn't let us off the hook that way. <laughs> You're right. It would be a lot easier uh, to let it be, as it were. Um, uh-huh. But, uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> but the the truth of the matter is that being nice is not the same as being good, um, and being nice is not the same as being faithful. And I think this is it's not only a southern thing but i think it is particularly a southern thing that we want to be nice we want to be nice we don't want to don't want to stir the pot um we i think we do think that there's something inherently valuable about um not not making anyone feel bad um and i get that i don't like to feel bad either i hate being called out it is the worst it's the pits but frequently when i am I become better because of it. Um, and so I, I think that's really what this whole series is about, right, Matt? Um, we we know that particularly in church world, we don't like to acknowledge when there are conflicts among us. It does not feel great. Um, it doesn't It doesn't always feel immediately productive. But what this series is going to do for us, I think, is give us a real opportunity to think about what kind of community we want to be. Whether we want to be the kind of community that sweeps everything under the rug only to discover an enormous pile of garbage later, or if we want to be the community that helps each other grow, um, that can speak to each other in love, that can um, build something beautiful together by being real, by being loving, by being respectful, and by being authentic. Uh, it's beautiful, Calissa. When when we think about keeping the peace, what we miss in that approach is the beauty and joy of reconciliation, right? Of yeah. a repaired relationship that doesn't ignore the offense. It doesn't ignore the hurt. It confronts it, acknowledges it, and moves toward healing, which is far better than just keeping the peace as in there's right. no conflict. I, you know, I think this is what Jesus is after. And I, I'm excited to see where the series heads because there's so much to explore and to help us think through when it comes to how we deal with conflict, either within our family or within our community or even within our country. So I'm excited about this. Calissa, if there was one thing that people could do in advance of Sunday to help them get ready to to worship well, to help them get ready to engage God in a meaningful and profound way on Sunday. What could we do before Sunday to help us get to that place? Oh, goodness. 
I only get to choose one thing. <laughs> That's right. Only one. Oh, only one thing. Um, I mean, truthfully, I think it would be wonderful for folks to do a little inventory over the next couple of days, just kind of mentally notice where you are feeling that conflict in your bones, in your body. Because we, we know that it you know, you can feel that little like clench in your chest when something doesn't feel right. I want you to notice that. I want you to notice how many times you just squash that down or how many times you let it explode in unhealthy ways. And if you're, you know, really super advanced and probably a better human than I am and are super great at already resolving your conflicts, notice where you do that. I think it's really good for us to start from a place of knowing what our tendencies are um, so that we can move to a place of growth. I would also say, I know I only get one thing, but uh, I want to remind us too that this coming Sunday is a communion Sunday. So just want to make sure you are ready for that, that you've got some bread and juice at home if you're going to um, receive communion online. Uh, but we'll also have options for you to do that if you join us for outdoor worship. Yeah, so that's a great place to end because the last verse in this passage is a verse that I did not expect to be connected to a passage about conflict. Here's the last verse, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. This is what Jesus tells us. So, Calissa, I think you're going to deal with that a little bit on Sunday. I'm excited to hear how that piece fits into a conversation about conflict and resolution or reconciliation and how communion fits into that puzzle as well. So, Calissa, thanks so much for being here. This has been a great conversation, and uh, I've enjoyed it a lot. I hope that if you're listening, I hope it's helpful to you too, and look forward to joining you again next week. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Our Story podcast from Dunwoody United Methodist Church. Visit us online at dunwoodyumc.org. And join us for online worship every Sunday morning. This Sunday, September the 6th, we'll also have outdoor worship at 8.45 a.m. in the parking lot or at 6.30 p.m., note the time change, on the ball field. We hope you'll join us and add your story to ours.